passage for this afternoon. Uh, We're going to look at James chapter 3. Uh, we have spent the last four weeks looking at different passages that lead up to the birth of Christ. Um, as we thought about uh, Christmas, of course. And uh, we're just going to spend some time in James chapter 3 this afternoon as we think about uh, wrapping up this year and moving into the new year. And um, as you're situating yourself with the text, uh, I want you to think, um, if you would, about the feel of your home. What's the feel of your home? Um, You may live alone, or you may live with a large extended family or somewhere in between, but um, every home has a feel. We don't always know the feel of our own home, but if you go into someone else's home, you can sort of sense the feel of it. Um, We're so used to our own homes that we don't realize it, but when you go somewhere else, you can feel it. Maybe you experienced that uh, sometime this weekend. Um, But, you know, whether it's like how loud people speak in the house or um, how they speak to one another uh, or uh, sort of just the feel, maybe it's really laid back and welcoming, uh, maybe it's, it feels a little bit more tense and maybe even stuffy at times or like you're walking on eggshells. You don't know what's okay to say and what's not. But our homes have like a different feel to them. Even maybe your childhood home had a certain feel to it. Um, what about us as a church? What's the feel of resurrection? Um, think back to the first time you visited anything related to our church family. Maybe that was a worship service. Maybe it's today, <laughs> right now. Uh, maybe that was a neighborhood group. Maybe it was a core group meeting uh, last winter. Um, what did it feel like? What was it like to see people talking to one another? Maybe to have a conversation with someone. Um, the flow of the service, the music, the preaching, the teaching, the conversation. Um, what did that feel like the first time that you visited something connected to our church? Here's what I want us to think about in the back of our minds as we consider this passage this afternoon. Um, what kind of culture are we creating at Resurrection? What kind of culture are we creating in this new church? Keep that in mind as I read our passage. This is James chapter 3, 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but as earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The word of the Lord. Father, we do pause to thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You have spoken to us. And we pray that in the midst of this weekend, which uh, may feel unusual or chaotic or different or distracting with the holiday and the warmer weather, Father, um, even in these unusual circumstances, we pray that You would meet us during this time by Your Spirit. You would help us to be present. Um, You would give us ears to hear. You would give us eyes to see. You would give us hearts to believe. Father, meet us during this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So uh, over the last few years, you've heard a lot more about organizations um, having an emphasis on good company culture. Maybe that's something where you work that has been talked about more and more. Um, But but you see a lot of studies done on company culture now. There's one company that's at the near the top of the list almost always on recent uh, company culture surveys. It's called HubSpot. 
Um, they're, they're consistently up there with places like Google and things like that. Um, and it just means to have good company culture. It just means it's a place where people want to work, that they like going to work there. Um, HubSpot, by the way, they do like, I don't actually really know what they do. It's like sort of like software, database marketing, customer service stuff. Um, what they seem to be known for more than anything else is their company culture, oddly enough. Uh, but here are a few things that stood out on this list for HubSpot in particular, of what made them um, such a great place to work. Uh, the first thing was full internal transparency. They have what's called a no-door policy. So not even an open-door policy where you can come in and talk to anyone anytime. They don't have any doors. They actually just have a big shared physical workspace where you just come and anyone can talk to anyone at any time, whether you're a CEO or you just started that day. So there's a no-door policy, full transparency on all their finances for, for everything related to the company. It's open to anyone. That's the first thing. Secondly, they have a clearly defined, um, they have clearly defined core values and they act on them. So basically, if you work at this company, you know what the core values are and, and you live accordingly. Like you're in line with them. You know what they're all about and you're on the same page. And the last thing that this company is known for is their flexibility. Uh, you can basically work however much you want. Um, and they have an unlimited vacation time policy. So you could literally take as much vacation time as you want as long as you are meeting the objectives, getting the results in your particular position. So they don't care about how many hours you're working, where you're working, when you're working. Just as long as you're getting everything done, you can take as much vacation as you want. But they put a big emphasis on company culture. So the results for them are not the main priority. Um, how they get the results and what it feels like to be a part of the team is a priority for them. All right, what's being described in this passage is the how uh, or the what it feels like in a church community. Um, you can maybe think about this passage as describing a company culture of a church. Um, and what decides the culture is the type of wisdom in that community. And there are two types of wisdom contrasted in our passage. There's wisdom from above and wisdom from below. And James uh, frames a section of his letter with this question in verse 13 at the beginning. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? And then he contrasts these two types of wisdom. So let's follow that contrast. We'll look at wisdom from below and then wisdom from above. First, wisdom from below. All right, we could call this uh, earthly wisdom or worldly wisdom. Uh, but James talk, talks about it in contrast to this wisdom from above. So what does uh, wisdom from below look like? Look at verse 14. He says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. And then down at the beginning of verse 16, he mentions again jealousy and selfish ambition. Okay, so in James's words, wisdom from below looks like jealousy and selfish ambition. All right, what was going on in this church that James was writing to. Um, he is writing to a church that was having a lot of internal conflict. Um, there were divisions. There were factions. The church was heavily polarized. I don't know if that sounds familiar at all to you. Heavily polarized church. Um, immediately before our passage, the beginning of James chapter 3, James is focusing on the danger of the tongue, on the power of our words, and what that does to a particular community. So it's a church where people, in his words, are jealous of one another. Um, they don't like uh, what others are getting to do or the influence they're able to have or the status that they have. 
Kids, you may be familiar with that word, jealousy. It's when you see something that someone else has or is doing, and you want that thing for yourself. Um, a lot of times, it begins. jealousy begins with, oh, that is so not fair that so-and-so gets to do blank, or so-and-so has this. Uh, you may have even experienced some of that in the last 48 hours. Maybe so, I don't know. Hopefully not. Um, but because of the jealousy in this church, they're slandering one another. They're speaking poorly about one another behind each other's backs. They're tearing one another down. They don't like to see either the perceived status or the good things that other people are doing. They're jealous of it. Um, and it says that they're selfishly ambitious. Essentially, that means that this church is like in competition with one another. The factions of this church are in competition with one another. Uh, and they're all trying to get their own way. No matter what the cost it does to the community, they're just trying to one-up each other. Um, one commentator pointed out, this is fascinating, that this phrase, uh, selfish ambition, there's one officially recorded use of this phrase prior to the New Testament. And it comes from Aristotle in the 300s BC, where Aristotle used this term, selfish ambition, to describe, quote, the narrow partisan zeal of factional greedy politicians of his own day. That's how selfish ambition was used prior to its use in the New Testament. So it's this attitude of things must go my way at all costs. We will make this happen. That was happening in a church. Then he tells them in verse 14, he says, all right, if you're behaving in these ways with one another, you're actually proving yourself to be, quote, false to the truth. Uh, that you are showing your cards and you've actually missed this true wisdom that's from above. Um, you're living according to another kind of wisdom altogether, whether you realize it or not. Um, you may have hosted recently, or you may have been hosted by somebody. Um, as you're getting food in and out of the fridge all the time, I wonder when was the last time your fridge was cleaned? I don't just mean like you clean the food out. I mean like you took everything out of the fridge and you wiped down all the shelves, all the drawers, everything in there. Um, I couldn't tell you the last time we did that in our house. There's probably some different um, types of fungus growing in our refrigerator right now. Um, but as I thought about this, our day-to-day -day use of our fridge, um, we are just sort of doing life. We're getting food in and out. And maybe something spills over the side and you put it in there and it kind of gets something on the shelf or something leaks a little bit. And it just sort of happens day in and day out. Um, but all of this leads to something. Um, it creates a really messy fridge without us intending to create a really messy fridge. All right, James is telling this church, look, if you go about your day-to-day -day life with this jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be unintended consequences of this behavior. He's going to tell them that you're creating a certain kind of church culture when you behave this way. It's creating something that you don't even realize. All right, so what kind of church culture does this wisdom from below create? Look at verse 15. He says, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. All right, so here's the church culture they're creating. It's earthly and un un unspiritual. 
earthly and unspiritual. He says, all right, you're, you are doing things the way the world does things. Um, you look no different than any other organization out there. He goes further. He says, it's actually demonic. Um, you are doing things the way demons do things. That's how they operate. You're operating that way. And he says, it's a culture of disorder. You're creating a place that is unstable. Uh, it's chaotic feeling. Um, and all this, this culture is going to build on itself and create sort of this free-for-all, um, every vile practice, um, when at all costs, anything goes mentality. Um, this was a situation that James was speaking into. All right, how can that happen in a church? In James's context, um, they were facing persecution from outside of themselves. There was a, a lot of division around poverty between the rich and the poor. And those occasions of with dealing with poverty and persecution sort of expose these heart-level things in this church community. Um, how could this happen in a church like ours, in a new church? Um, it'll happen when, one, we forget who we are. When we forget who we are. Um, we have to remember that the church is full of sinners saved by grace. We are sinners saved by grace. We are undeserving people who have been, giving, have, have been given a salvation that we do not deserve. And we're a group of people who has gathered together um, based on the fact that we, we own the fact that our resume will not get us in the door. Our resume actually disqualifies us from being here, but we have to plead someone else's resume. We have to plead Jesus' resume in order to gather, in order to be together as His church. Um, that's who we are. And we have to remember that our default mode is going to be to slip into jealousy and selfish ambition with one another. Um, even as believers, even as followers of Jesus, we still have sin remaining inside of us. And this, um, this wisdom from below is lurking very closely in all of our hearts. And if we forget that, if we forget who we are, we're going to default into this kind of culture where it's going to feel more divisive around certain issues and polarized and there will be selfishness and competition and it's to be right at all costs. Um, so this kind of culture happens when we forget who we are. It also happens because we are all in process. It happens because we're all in process. Um, to grow as a follower of Jesus is to be sanctified, to become more and more like Christ. And that is a process. And it's a very messy process. Um, I want you to think about your own life for a moment. Um, there may be areas where you feel so encouraged about growth in the Lord, where you feel like you're maturing as a believer. And maybe places where you used to really struggle, you're, you're struggling a little bit less, and that struggle looks different. And you've seen real growth. Um, not in a prideful way, but just you're celebrating that growth. And that's a great thing that needs to be celebrated. Um, but then there are areas of your life where you still mess up a lot. And um, often it's in the same ways over and over again. Uh, you keep losing your temper. Uh, you keep gossiping. You keep holding that grudge. Um, we're very messy people. I wonder what those things are for you. Here's what I noticed about myself. I'm very okay with myself being in process where I can sort of see the good, the growth in my life and thank God for that and celebrate it and also see the this, this sin that still remains and the ways in which I still fall short and give myself a lot of grace and patience for that. I'm pretty good at doing that with myself. I am not good at doing that with other people. I'm not good at embracing the mess. 
of other people's sanctification and showing them patience and grace. It's easy to do it with ourselves, very difficult to do it with one another. Um, If we forget that not just us, but everyone around us is in this messy process of sanctification, then we'll just start picking each other apart, driving each other crazy, and it'll create a certain type of culture. Uh, That's what's being described in our passage. That's wisdom from below. All right, what's the alternative? Let's talk about wisdom from above. Um, What does this wisdom from above look like? Look at verse 13 again. He poses a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So wisdom from above, it looks like meekness. Um, That's an odd term. We don't use it a lot. Think of gentleness here. Uh, Sometimes when we hear the word meekness, we think of weakness um, or being passive. Uh, The Greeks actually did the same thing. Uh, It was not a celebrated virtue for them, so it was very countercultural to be meek at this time. Uh, Think about meekness as uh, gentle strength that's built on a really deep understanding of your own sin and your own dependency on the Lord um, and a deep trust of who God is. So meekness is this gentle strength. And James is saying here that real wisdom from above is going to show itself in one's life. That it's not in the intellect. It's not in having the right answers. It's not in knowing the right theology. But it's going to show itself in meekness of wisdom. All right, what else does it look like? Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. Gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. All right, so the main thing that's being celebrated, the main virtue celebrated in that list is the first one, this purity, to be pure. Think about purity as moral blamelessness. Uh, And the rest of that list that comes after it sort of spells out what moral blamelessness looks like. So it's peaceable. This purity is peaceable. That means peace-loving. Uh. Rather than get ahead and win at all costs, it loves peace more. So like when making a big decision, um, it's being equally passionate about the peaceful process as you are the outcome or being right in the process. It's peaceable. Uh, It's gentle and open to reason, Um, willing to yield to others, willing to submit to other people. Um, There are really important biblical and theological and ethical things which you should always take a stand for and never compromise on. And then there are lots and lots of other issues and decisions, especially within a local church setting, uh, that are not on that level and are great opportunities to yield to others. Um, To be gentle and open to reason, it means we don't have to get our way all the time. It means we don't have to have strong opinions about everything. We can be gentle and open to reason. Uh, It is full of mercy and good fruits, it says. Um, This means that your love for others shows itself um, in tangible actions, uh, even that our life speaks more loudly than our words do. Um, That there are real things that we do with our time and energy and resources that are acts of love and mercy to others that maybe we never tell another soul about, um, but it's just built into who we are and how we live. So it's it's full of mercy and good fruits. James says it's impartial and sincere. 
Uh, to be impartial was a big deal for James. He tells the church at the beginning of chapter 2 not to be partial to people based on their wealth and status. Um, that wisdom from above treats people equally, the rich and the poor. Um, do you all remember the show Undercover Boss? I don't, I don't know that it's still on. You can probably find it some reruns somewhere. But um, it's where a boss or a CEO of, a, of an organization or a company would, would go undercover in their particular organization and they would uh, put on an actual disguise, and they would go to like the entry-level uh, position um, of their company, and they would do it to get a feel for what it was like to work at their company, so they could like relate to the common person who just gets hired and starts working there. But one of the interesting things that you would see um, throughout the course of these episodes is um, the way that the coworkers would treat the person they thought was just a new entry-level employee versus when they found it, it was actually their CEO, they would treat them very different. And sometimes they have to apologize. Sometimes they would get fired for how they treated them. But they, but they were very uh, partial as to whether this was the CEO they were speaking to or another entry-level person they were speaking to. All right, when James talks about this wisdom from above, it means to be impartial and sincere, whether it's a homeless person or a CEO, regardless of wealth, or status. And that's something that, that again, is very countercultural. This is moral blamelessness, though. This is what it means to be pure. And do you know what moral blamelessness looks like in a person? It looks like Jesus. Um, look at the front of your bulletin. There's a reflection quote on the inside, uh, just a few pages in. And it's 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 20 through 31. Turn there. I'm going to read this. Um, this is the Apostle Paul talking about wisdom in Jesus. Verse 20, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord." Paul is saying, Jesus is the wisdom of God. Um, What does this wisdom from above look like? Jesus. And even Paul tells us in his passage in Corinthians that um, the wisdom of Jesus, the wisdom of God's kingdom, it looks like the opposite of the world's wisdom. Um, Wisdom from above looks like foolishness to the watching world. Uh, Meekness. Purity, loving peace more than results, 
gentleness, being reasonable, merciful, impartial, sincere. Um, This is not the way to get ahead in our world, and it looks like foolishness to the watching world. Yet that's a picture of Jesus. The wisdom of God in the flesh. Even just thinking about it in those terms, you might feel a bit of a tension in our passage. Um, Reading this list of wisdom, it, it ought to make us think of Jesus and His moral blamelessness. These things that He embodied and lived out perfectly. And it's right to lift up our hands and just say, all right, I'm never going to be able to live like this. Um, Not until we meet Jesus face to face and are fully transformed will we be able to live like this is described perfectly. And that's where the grace of the gospel meets us. Where Jesus, the morally blameless one, goes to the cross to pay for those who are immoral and guilty. And that's where we find our forgiveness for where we don't measure up in all these things. So that is true for us this afternoon. And when we entrust ourselves to Jesus, we are given a new heart and a new nature. And because of this new nature, we're actually able to begin to say yes to this new way of living. So this wisdom from above is actually a real option for us now. So this list of of purity, of moral blamelessness, It does two things. It drives us to the cross of Jesus as we see how we fall short. And it gives us a list of virtues to aspire to as a new community. It does both of those things at the same time. Um, There are two artists um, based out of London named Tim Noble and Sue Webster. Um, They are artists who are known for uh, reusing trash uh, to create beautiful pieces of art. Um, They have one exhibit called um, Shadow Sculptures that you can look up and see. It's displayed um, in an all-white room, and they've taken old pieces of metal and piping, bent them, and arranged them basically in like uh, piles, sort of in a line. And then they've um, taken a big spotlight, and they'll shine the spotlight on these different piles of metal, and it will cast a shadow up on the wall. And when you look at these piles of metal, it looks like scrap piles in very random um, shapes. But when you look at um, the shadow that's cast on the wall, it is the perfect replica of a human figure. And so that you look at this room, the middle of the room is full of just these random piles of gross old metal. But you look at the surrounding walls and there are these beautiful silhouettes of real human figures all the way around the room. Um, when we begin to put on these virtues of wisdom from above, um, our feeble attempts at this purity of loving peace, of being gentle with one another, um, in and of themselves, they're not going to look that impressive. They're going to look like those kind of random piles of scrap metal in the middle of the room. Um, But when the light of Christ shines on them, it can project something within our community that is actually incredibly beautiful. Um, and when we begin to put these on, it's going to paint a picture that is beautiful, um, not just for us as a new church community, um, but it's going to be beautiful for those who are watching in our surrounding neighborhoods. So what type of beauty will it create? What kind of culture does this wisdom of, from above create? Look at verse 18. James says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
So wisdom from above creates a culture of righteousness and peace. Um, Imagine the feel of resurrection this next year as we meet in a new location, have new visitors, new people coming to, to check out our community. What if they felt in all its imperfection, uh, righteousness and peace that came not from um, winning at all costs, not from being the loudest and most divisive and most polarizing, but a righteousness and peace that came from purity and loving peace and being gentle and being reasonable and being merciful and being good and being impartial and being sincere. Um, That is a beauty that will extend beyond our walls into our surrounding neighborhoods. And our prayer is that they will see um, something beyond just the beauty of our community. They'll see Jesus, the beautiful one who creates our community. Um, Friends, he is the beautiful one. He is the wisdom of God, and he offers himself to you this afternoon. So won't you reach out and receive him by faith? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time as we gather together as your church this afternoon. Father, thank you for these friends.